Boom! There, there we, we are. go! Hey! Welcome, everybody, to episode 7 of Belt Louder for the People in the Back, where we will be discussing uh, class warfare in space, uh, yep. amongst a bunch of other stuff. But it's mainly going to be... Uh, we're mainly going to be talking about the plot today, I think, is, is the, the, the name of the game, because this is the, the episode 10, the season finale for season 1, uh, where... A lot of things are going to happen, uh, just like in episode stuff. episode nine also had a lot of stuff happening. But episode ten uh, yep. somehow has even more things happening, uh, and it's uh, a wild ride. So before we dive into it, Squirrel Logan, how how are you two doing? One of you go first. You go ahead, Squirrel. Uh, it's been a very long week. Uh, we'll tune in for the podcast Monday. We'll be <laughs> really? talking about Echo Park Lake and. Um, some other stuff. Why? What happened? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, also, like while while we're here, uh, if you want to head over to uh, Ground Games Twitter account, uh, find our petition to tell Mitchell Farrell to resign, Hell and yeah. uh, tell Mitchell Fi- Farrell to fucking resign. Let's um, let's you know maybe uh, recall the motherfucker. Um, there's a lot more reasons to recall Mitchell Farrell than there is like Gavin Newsom. Um, you know, Mitch O'Farrell took money from serial killer Ed Buck. I'm going to stop now or I'll go on for hours. Anyways, Logan, how are you doing? You're wearing, uh, a, you're wearing some sort of a sports ball t-shirt, I see. Yes, I am. I am wearing my Mookie Betts World Champions jersey, so I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, today, uh, well, today has been better <laughs> compared to the remainder of the week. And uh, it's just nice to hang out with y'all. Yeah, you as well. So, I, for this week, uh, we teased this a little bit last time, um, but, th- you know, what's going on at Arrow Station before we jump into the plot is very lar- is very much a-, a medical experiment on a disempowered and oppressed group of people. And, Chris, Logan, you may not realize this, but America and Western European nations have a history of doing that in the what? global south. What? I know, it's it's crazy. Um, from the Tuskegee experiments in the American South, where oh, yeah. black men who were uh, positive for syphilis were left untreated for decades, just so researchers could see how the disease progressed in their bodies, uh, to the experiments on AIDS drugs uh, on uh, children and uh, un, uh, unconsenting people in uh, sub-Saharan Africa, to the pricing of our current vaccines and the, un- the lack of availability in the global South, even though the U.S. has so many vaccines in the pipeline that by the time AstraZeneca gets here, the U.S. will not need a single dose of the AstraZeneca vaccine to vaccinate anyone in America. And so what are we going to do with those vaccines? Probably just throw them in the toilet to spite people uh, because of men like Bill Gates who think that intellectual property must come before human lives. So this is a very, like, prescient episode, I think, especially during the COVID epidemic, when we've been confronted with a lot of medical racism, not just in the way that black and brown communities are underserved. They have a lack of hospitals. They have poor 911 response times. They have fewer doctors, fewer nurses. They have fewer resources in general. But also the fact that, like, the death toll in those communities has been much higher, but they're seeing some of the slowest rollout of these same vaccines, even here in the U.S. And a lot of that has been blamed on what people call, you know, um, vaccine skepticism, which like there's some of that out there, but generally it's pretty, you know, soft skepticism. A lot of people like are skeptical of the medical uh, industrial complex, 
but are willing to take something that they know will make them better and protect them and protect their families. And instead, one of the reasons we don't see as many people getting vaccinated in those communities is because we make it really fucking hard for those communities to get vaccinated. You know, the myturn.ca.gov is a website. And if you don't have internet access or you're not savvy at using a computer, then you're going to have a really hard time making an appointment. And if you call the 1-800 number that the state provides, you're just going to be waiting on hold for hours at a time. And I have done that. And it is very stupid and it is very frustrating. You know, and the state was like, oh, we'll solve this by letting doctors vaccinate their patients. Well, guess who's less likely to have a regular doctor that they see all the time? Um, And you just see these levels of oppression and disenfranchisement kind of add up and add up and and, um, ultimately create a huge body count. Um, And in many ways, we're constantly running these experiments on people who don't uh, consent to being experimented on. And then we blame them for the poor outcomes of these experiments that we're just constantly running in their neighborhoods and their communities. Um, so that was, sorry, my, my rant went on a little bit longer there than I meant it to. Uh, but Logan, you had actually a pretty interesting example uh, about the Olympics, uh, which is something that we are also trying to make a victim of can- cancel culture here in LA, uh, because the Olympics, in case you did not know, are they're very bad. They're quite bad. Wow. Yeah, in the uh, 1904 Olympics, the uh, marathon was held uh, in St. Louis, if I recall correctly, and it was just a clusterfuck of pseudoscience and just your run-of-the-mill racism. Uh, they uh, effectively only provided one water source on the route, and the the roads were largely unpaved, which means runners would be, and this is in 90 degree heat, which is already that's, not supposed to happen for a marathon. Yeah. It was already, that's, even that's back really then, even back then they knew that was medically unsound and they did it anyway. Wow. And the thing is, is that even the water source uh, gave people uh, digestive problems uh, because the water source was not really approved it was just what was already on the route and the reason why all that was happening was because the um the uh uh, runners not the runners the uh the organizers of the race Uh um they uh were interested in what the human body would do when denied water and pushed to the limit so they basically denied these racers water specifically because they wanted to see what would happen mm-hmm. and the winner of the race was so fucked up that he lost eight pounds and they the people his coaches refused to give him water so he drank brandy he uh was given uh eggs uh, and then when he was really having issues and really dragging, they gave him strychnine. And it is that kind of what medical. Oh, yeah. And this 100 percent true. All of this happened. Holy and, shit. And, and that's the guy who won. He It was at a point to where he was uh, he had run about, uh, I'd say, like 70 percent of the race. And he still thought that he had just barely started because he was so fucking delirious and just felt like the race had just barely started and he still had another, you know, 20 miles to go. And it, it Jesus. all of this was just because they wanted to see what would happen because they were certain that uh, the white race would be able to handle the dehydration better. Okay. Yeah. 
So it's not just the global south. We also do it to our own people. Yeah. Well, I mean, back in the day with the Tour de France, um, they they used to not let riders take their own water with them because they thought it was a, a show of your toughness if you could ride, you know, these hundred miles in a day without drinking water, which, of course, doesn't work. So you have these... Uh, photos of guys who've just been riding along provincial French roads on fixed gear bicycles, stopping at a trough meant for horses to drink from, and just Jesus. drinking as much water as they can before hopping on their bike to continue the race. And so, um, there's a lot of weird ideas out there. Um, if you would like to learn more about this, you can head over to our SoundCloud and listen to the No Olympics podcast series that we produced. Uh, we're also hosting No Olympia, which is the new podcast uh, that's coming out from uh, No Olympics every week. Uh, but Chris, we should turn to you. Do you have any uh, fun examples of humanity being terrible to other humans I, uh, that I, you would like to share with the class? I I would not have classified any of these previous examples as fun by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, and no, I am fucking horrified. Like, <laughs> I did not know about either of those. Like, I, like, watching this episode, like, I could not stop thinking about, like, the Tuskegee experiments and uh, just, and and also, like, COINTELPRO, for some reason, like, really sprung to mind. Because um, mm-hmm. I remember having conversations with people about them being like, well, you know, it's it, acid's not that bad. I'm like, if you don't know you're taking acid and you just start experiencing an acid high, I feel like that would probably fuck up your brain pretty good and they're like no 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 it'll be totally it would be totally fine i'm like if you never had taken it and you didn't know what was going on and suddenly you're just your reality starts to change around you you don't think that that might cause so anyway uh medical experimentation on people without consent is something that is deeply troubling to think about and it makes my brain hurt a lot um and this episode is horrifying in that sense uh they did do a you know, it, it, it's most of the people that are directly impacted by this. Like, you don't really see. They're pretty much anonymous, you know, non-player characters, as it were, from, like, a video game perspective. Um, but it, it, it's it's definitely... It's still horrifying, even if they are the, the nameless and largely faceless masses. Uh, and mm-hmm. uh, also, uh, fuck Julie Mao's dad. Like, yeah, yeah, what a piece of shit. <laughs> Great actor. Terrible character. Oh, horrible. Gee, truly, truly Just evil. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I don't have anything else to, to really uh, throw in here other than that. Man, we, we as a species are really bad about this. Uh, like, we're really bad about this. I mean, in addition to like all of the absolutely horrifying shit that happened in, you know, concentration camps in under Japanese and German control. Uh, like that's some absolutely fucked up stuff like that, that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Well, um, and, and a lot of those doctors ended up coming to work for the U S hey. a lot of their research was then incorporated into American medical science. Um, you know, we Paper tend clip. to, Paper we clip. tend to forget Paper how, yeah, yeah, well, we tend to, we tend to forget how unethical medical research was in the West for a long, long time. Um, and for, for, you know, a variety of reasons, not the least of which was that 
um, for a long while, experimenting on or cutting into human bodies even after they were deceased was oh. illegal. So doctors and surgeons would literally have to steal cadavers in order to figure out what was going on. Before that, the church really controlled and stifled medical science by saying, no, you can't study the human body. It's God's perfect design. You know, if God wants you to die of cancer, then you just get to die of cancer and well, be happy about it. And also the, like, the, the shit that they did on black people in the South before the Civil War is yeah. just... Holy shit. Holy shit. Terrifying. Like, uh, it's just, yeah. They, uh, medicine's got some issues, folks. Yeah. Trouble yeah. This is all, uh, this is all just reminding me, shit. I got to watch the Nick. I haven't watched it yet. <laughs> just going through with Clive Owen, just going through the history of, of uh. medicine. Like, from what I understand, the Typhoid Mary episode uh, hits different now. <laughs> so, <Does it>? yeah. <laughs> so, I'm going to I'm gonna have to watch it. I've listened to the soundtrack a lot. I love the soundtrack. I haven't watched the show. Fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. No, it's it's uh, it's definitely nuts. But let's uh, let's go ahead and let's dive into uh, this week's episode. Sure. Uh, yeah, Logan, do you want to set the stage for us? Catch everybody up on where we're at in case they uh, missed last episode or... Forgot it all because of the very long week that we all had. So, um, Aero Station, which is, uh, in the belt, it actually was, um, the initial station for the belt until Ceres, which was much better. So now Ceres is the more populated area, and Eros is kind of the forgotten station. And it's important that it's forgotten because, uh, there are some problems that are happening on Aero Station where uh, the uh, people in charge, whoever they are, have started corralling uh, the residents of the station into nuclear shelters because of a radiation leak. Uh, it turns out it was the inverse where they were going into the shelters to be hit with some very hard radiation for reasons that we will be speaking on later. And uh, as a result of that, uh, Holden and Miller ended up opening up uh, one of those shelters to look at mm -hmm. what is inside. And they got hit with a hard dose of radiation, just standing there, seeing piles of people just sitting they there stood dying. stood there for so long! They stood there for so long. And, and it reminds me of uh, something that uh, is spoken about a lot in uh, writers' rooms. Uh, John Rogers had a great thread on this uh, not too long ago, but uh, it's called the Idiot Ball. And what it is is that at certain points in a television series a character who may otherwise be a very intelligent person just for a moment has to hold the idiot ball doing something mm -hmm. extremely stupid because it has to happen in order to kick off what it is that they are doing. So despite the fact that Holden and Miller are standing in a sea of dying people that are in an enclosed space, you would think that when they hear machinery starting up, you would go, I should probably step out of this you mean, room. You mean that warning noise going, bit it it bit it it You wouldn't go, yeah. oh, fuck. Oh, yeah, I should leave. I should, oh, I should bounce? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they didn't do that. They just sat there and got hit with hard radiation. So where we're leaving them is they are trying to get back to the, the Rossi as they are slowly cooking from the inside out because of radiation, while uh, Naomi, Amos, uh, Semi, 
and uh, some other folks are uh, trying themselves to get to the Rossi. So right now, everything is completely up in the air um, as we hit this second half of the finale, and that is where we are left. Yeah. Well, so the the first clip that we've actually got today is, um, I believe... Is, so it's, is, this is, we're time this traveling, is, this right? Is, no, no, no. This is, well, this is uh, Dresden is extracting stuff from uh, Julie Mao. Yes. Uh, it's unclear exactly when it's happening. I think it's happening pretty close in time to when the experiment is going down because yeah. they see Dresden later on. But he's like pulling stuff to take back to his research team. So what's happening on, on Eros is going down. And in the midst of that chaos, Dresden is grabbing some some further uh, research material and getting ready to get go out. But he has a very interesting monologue here uh, that gives some insight onto why he's doing what he's doing and sort of informs as he's not just like some monster because almost no monsters, you know, in humanity are just like monsters for the sake of being monsters. They, they have a reason. They have a reason they believe they're right. And so this kind of yeah. gives us an idea as to why Dresden thinks that it's okay for him to, to engage in what he's engaging in. He's a, I mean, he's a Dr. Mengele, but, um, like yeah. carbon copy, um, but this is so re really quick though. The the well, I gotta I, you know I should I should yeah no no go ahead and play it. Oh okay, I can play it first. Whee! Go. God, it's the the crystals in the mouth thing is still so fucking jarring. Then the whole touch the unknown line gives me a very event horizon vibe. Yeah. She's gonna save us all. Okay. <laughs> or you could have right. just not fucked with any of it, and it wouldn't have been a problem. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's also something that I want to point out is you made the Dr. Mengele reference and Dresden here saying, you know, hey, we're doing this to save everyone. Whenever scientists are engaged or medical doctors are engaged in this type of stuff, be it the Nazis, be it the Germans, be it the Americans, they're always doing it to fight off some sort of an other, whether that other is humans that they see as less deserving of humanity and dignity, whether it be the degradation of the human body, whether it be a more sort of existential, like we can make humanity better sort of thing. There's always this outside enemy that justifies this behavior. And that, that always has to be part and parcel of what's going on. And now we know, you know, time hopping a little bit, that they have a little bit more grounded reason for that fear than like the Nazis did, who were just doing it because they were crazy, weird racists. Um, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really uh, cut back against the magnitude of this experimentation and the very like cold, calculated, utilitarian thinking of, we're going to sacrifice Eros in order to save the rest of humanity. Like we're going to sacrifice 100,000 people that nobody cares about to save 100 billion. Absolutely. But I, I, I think that the um, it looked like that was the at least the fourth or fifth vial of that uh, goop that they had pulled out of her system. Um, so presumably all of the injections that they were stabbing into the necks of the belters 
around Phoebe Station as they get went into these radiation shelters came from some of the earlier goop extractions. Uh, so apparently he's just been chilling there with her dead body, extracting material from it for a while at this point because he is just a sick and twisted individual. Yeah. So. Yeah, fuck him. <laughs> Thanks, Logan. <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> so, clip number two. Yeah, let's go to clip number two. And this is a, this is an interesting one um, because we haven't really seen uh, Miller and Holden get to interact very much. Like, there wasn't a lot of character... I mean, there was a lot of character development in a very short time they spent together, but this one, I think, really draws out more of where Miller is coming from. And it's, it's really... It, it's pretty interesting. It also explains why he ended up as a cop because we've only known him as a cop. But now we get a little bit of a, a preview as to, like, what was life like for Josephus Miller before a cop josephus miller the younger haha <laughs> all right here we go god he i forgot how rough i know he's i know Yep. Uh, he, he, he is, he is uh, what you scrape off of the underside of the boot at the moment, given the fact that he is literally just turning into goo on the inside and really suffering for it. Yeah, I forgot he, how rough they looked. Yeah. But also, right after that, he sees a vision of Julie, which is a little bit weird because, again, as we noted, those characters have never met. And it's weird for him to be seeing such vivid manifestations of somebody that he's never met before, like almost as though she's actually standing in that room with them. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Um, sadly, I don't have the a screenshot of that one, um, but it is th that she immediately comes, she does her little quip of, yeah, which one are you? And yeah. uh, he has no response to it. But um, that, that scene in the pachinko parlor is interrupted uh, by a bit of a, a bit of a conundrum going on for the two of them as there is commotion outside while folks are appearing doing things. <laughs> this is a very yeah. vague setup. And we got it. We got it. We got it. Yeah. Well, we've got a still a bit, so we can we can toss that up real hey, quick. Hey, look, it's a still that you can't really tell what's going on. <laughs> well, you can see. Yeah, you can see the the equipment going up. Um, probably could have grabbed a better still there, um, but it was all kind of shot a little bit like. You can't. You never get a clear shot of it. There's no clear establishing shot. But the the research team is clearly setting up something to research the experiment that they're doing. They're clearly yeah. interested in seeing what the results of this are. This isn't just mindless violence. There's a there's a point to this madness. Yep. That, no. It's it is absolutely clear that this is, you know, they've been installing the cameras. We we know from earlier dialogue that they've been installing cameras and monitoring the feeds 
around the station for the weeks leading up to this, um, taking down the existing feeds and putting up new equipment, which presumably is all uh, feeding off to Dresden's crew uh, Mm -hmm. so that they can just collect all of the data as to everything that's going on. Uh, for the uh, for, on this experiment, where they're literally just using humans as uh, uh, lab rats at this point, uh, yeah. And it's it's I do appreciate the idea of it just being a bunch of like gangsters who are used to running, uh, you know, uh, protection rackets and whatnot are now suddenly the IT guys. Like they have been tasked with running around the station, setting up this equipment, and you know, none of them are enjoying it. <laughs> Oh no! But they're I but mean, they're getting paid well. Yeah, this yeah. is definitely not only is it a well uh, planned operation, it's also a well compartmentalized operation because these guys have no fucking clue what's about to happen, and it's about to happen to them too. Oh yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> they they are totally unwitting participants um, because they you know they're 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 not exactly they don't strike you as the type to ask a lot of tough questions uh you know they they very much live by the credo of do not look that gift horse in the mouth uh when offered a deal like this uh you know they don't seem to understand that if something is uh too good to be true eh, might want to check on that (laughs) yeah so uh anyway we want to uh skip on ahead to the 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 briefing situation going on here i'll just note this that then you know they're in the pachinko parlor uh, because like Eros is a, a stopover for uh, people with money from the the inner solar system uh, who want stuff like cheap sex and uh, cheap gambling, and so it's it's basically the Reno of the belt, from what I can tell. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. And uh, yeah, I, I'm trying to remember the the when the guard comes in. Is that in, coming up now, or is that no? We're we're gonna we're gonna leap back to Earth, and we actually talked about gotcha. this a little bit. But Officer Rall is in a very dangerous position. Yes, because she knows the truth about these stealth ships that have caused all of these problems by blowing up the Canterbury and blowing up the Donager, and it, it's threatening to expose um uh 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 shit. What's his name? Aaron Wright. Aaron Wright. Aaron Wright, thank you, uh, is threatening to expose Aaron Wright, who uh, scrambles to try and cover himself, but in a very ham-fisted way, in a way that is easily seen through. But Aaron Wright has the power here, and, oh, you yeah. know, accusing Earth of doing this stuff would be tantamount to treason. Yeah, and, and it's, so this is um, this is the, the situation where she has uncovered, she just found this information. She knows for a fact that there is no information in the Black Ops, like, stuff, because she would have access to all of that. So she just queried the database, trying to find where these drives went, could not find any information, and is now about to... Uh, she was coming in to, to talk about this, and she gets interrupted uh, en route to uh, figure out what the hell's going on with uh, this this lovely little bit of exposition from uh, uh, the definitely not traitorous Aaron Wright.
Oh. Oh, yeah. Ah, I forgot. Oh, Jesus. Wow. I I've kind of forgot how incredibly nimble she was at handling that situation and that new revelation of the facts on the ground uh, in that conversation. Just like yeah. immediately tw twisting and pivoting to really play along with it and not not reveal the fact that she knows a whole lot more than he does. Well, Chrissy does not trust any information that is just openly handed to her because almost always, especially that kind of explosive information, it's, all right, why the fuck are you giving me this? You have well, some and, reason why you're doing this. Well, and it, it also, you know, Aaron Wright suddenly contradicting everything he'd been saying up until this point, saying, no, no, Mars had to have built those drives and we have no idea where they came from. But it, it, it you know, kind of, he's giving up the ghost there that he's not a very adept political operator. Like, he clearly thinks that he's in control here. And so that's why he's, he's willing to make such a ham-fisted move. Oh, for, for sure. And it, it is astounding in how ham-fisted it really is like it's just like an oh yeah yeah we, we we've we've known about those drives we've been tracking those drives it's like yeah and you wouldn't have you know clued anyone in as to the fact that these drives are being tracked and that they got sent off for a private contract to Tycho station to be built into uh, a fleet of stealth ships like you didn't feel the need to uh, you know provide any of that information with anybody including the fucking navy like Admiral, uh, was that Admiral Souther there? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ad, you know, yeah. He he knows nothing about all of this. And, like, you wouldn't yeah. have, like, what? It's just such a completely unbelievable set of, uh, of details in that story. Uh, it's wild. And then in the middle yeah. of all of it, it's like, oh, hey, by the way, after all that bullshit I gave you, here's Jeff Bezos. <laughs> <laughs> That's not suspicious at all. Hey, where have you been? Uh, <laughs> God damn it. Fuck Jeff Bezos. <laughs> uh, we say as we stream on Twitch, hey. Of course. Um, yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's I mean, why we can't look, get on the I, front page. <laughs> I, I'm, not allowed to, I'm not allowed to stand up to take breaks during the show, so I have to pee in bottles, and I just, I feel like it's very Amazon. Uh, but yeah, so... <laughs> Uh, leaving Earth and camera, hopping, yeah. but uh, <laughs> leaving Earth and hopping back to Eros, we're now going to go from like the wealthiest, most powerful people in the uh, in the solar system strategizing oh, to yeah. how the poorest people in the solar system strategize. And I found this one very interesting. Like, I think that 
um, the authors of the book, you know, the two authors that are James A. Corey, um, did a really good job of researching how workers and especially like very oppressed workers have organized themselves and use the infrastructure that they build to actually create power for themselves and use the knowledge that they have that nobody else finds useful uh, as a way to to liberate themselves and pull pull a fast one on the man. And this is actually this is a pretty cool little bit of like, you know, kind of working class history that they worked in here. Absolutely. So let's just go right into it. And this is the them in the tunnels looking for something. We're not sure what Naomi is trying to find. Rubbing them walls. No, it didn't. That's so weird. What? He's not a good dad. (laughs) (laughs) No kidding. Naomi, full of surprises, Nagata, at your service. Yeah. <laughs> she, I mean, she she routinely shows up to the party knowing way the fuck more than, like, everybody else in almost every circumstance, at least in this first season. And it's, yeah. uh, it's always so fun when everyone totally underestimates her and then looks like a fucking idiot for it. Uh, I, I, I enjoy that. I enjoy that very much. They they spend a lot of time just very carefully doling out, hey, Naomi's been in some shit, y'all, and we'll get there, but not right now. But just know, she's been in some shit. And every time, you know, things start going bad, you know, there's Naomi just basically putting everything together with duct tape and bubblegum. And that is just who she is. And it came from a very hard life. Yeah. Well, and it, it, it also, you know, kind of points to things that, like, we know from our own American history. Like, back during uh, the Great Depression, the, the sort of hobos, when they would go around, you know, they would mark up fences and people's mailboxes. And there was an entire grammar there that told you, like, hey, this person will give you work. Or this person will feed you. Or this person's going to fuck you over. Stay away from them. And it, it provided a lifeline for people who are on the road. And, you know, hobos weren't just people wandering around because they had nothing to do. They were largely an itinerant workforce. But they couldn't organize because they were never passing through the same area at the same time. But they had to have a way to, like talk to each other and in a way that other people couldn't figure out that the the farm owners or the business owners or the local police couldn't decode and figure out what was going on because even though their labor was necessary and wanted their presence was disrupted and not wanted yeah Yeah. absolutely and and it's uh that's a chapter in u.s history that i think that doesn't doesn't get nearly enough attention uh you know looking back at just there's been Every time that workers try to organize, there is so much fucking pushback. 
yeah. every time. And then speaking of Amazon again. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, we're always relevant folks and timely. That's our, that's what we do. Um, but the, the, like just, just every, anytime that there are gains that are made, it's like a level of complacency, complacency seems to set in. And then those gains are just whittled away year after year, after year, after year, until you really just kind of have to start all over again. Like right now where we're at with the current set of union, uh, the, like the union situation in this country is so fucking dire compared to where it was, you know, back when we were born. And that was so fucking dire compared to where it was in the fifties and sixties. Like it's just like, we cannot for every time that any gains are made immediately the forces of capital start to try to squash those gains back down and, and, and re you know, reestablish their foothold uh, in, in terms of just complete dominance over the market. They already have it, but they want to have even further dominance. So anyway, I'm going to get off. my. I mean, box. you know, to, to put it into modern day perspective, I mean, it wasn't um, until 2017 uh, when the Writers Guild uh, secured at least some paternity leave, and oh, that took that took multiple last minute midnight meetings at the deadline that they then had to at the end of it vote to extend for a couple of days, just to secure that, and and, and there were all there was also some other stuff because it's for the collective you know updating the collective bargaining agreement, but it. It shocked me that for the entertainment industry, and especially for writers who are critical to the development of scripted material, uh, they themselves like had to fight for better paternity leave protections and to just allow people to have a child when they are working their jobs and to not have to you know choose between taking care of their newborn or eating like <laughs> and and those are writers like you know th- th- we're not even talking about you know lower income workers like at Amazon like these you know this is white collar work and even yeah. then that organized work still has to fight for baseline fucking protections and that's if that ain't an indication of the dire state of workers in America, then I don't know what is. Yeah, no, it's, it's, um, it's a very good analogy for like where we're, where we're sitting at now. Um, and like one that sort of like, as you leap out into the expanse timeline, you just kind of imagine how much worse these things would get if we were interest, if we're interplanetary, if there were that many more people spread out over that much more distance and the people that really had the lines of communication are the, are the wealthy, but we should hop to another part of uh, Arrow Station real quick, and we just have a screenshot for this one, showing the proto molecule beginning to do its things on the subway of Eros, where it's it's be- which the the lifelines of Arrow Station are now being used to spread the molecule around as efficiently as possible, and basically infected cars full of humans are traveling from station to station and just spreading whatever is being spread here. I mean, there's there's not that much more to add to it than that. Yeah. Like it's 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 getting bad in there, folks. 
Yeah, but so back to back to Alva Sarala, and this is the last we're going to see of her for, for this season, really, uh, where she kind of explains what she's going to have to do here and how she's going to have to uh, put on airs in order to survive this very dangerous political moment. And I think it's it's very sweet because the, the relationship between her and Arjun is never focused on a lot throughout the series. It's always something that's sort of in the background, but they have a very real and a very consequential and substantial love that they express for themselves in these very poignant and powerful scenes like the acting by both of them uh by both of the actors playing these characters is just insanely good like they're they're just so absolutely amazing in every little scene that they're in Yeah. Why did they recast him? Anyone know? Did they? Yeah, they recast him for later seasons. Hmm. Well, I know that... Um, I, I don't know the, the gentleman's name, but I do know that he's a character actor who works quite a bit, so that might have been a scheduling thing. Gotcha. Because so. he was really good. Well, like, I mean, That was an incredible, yeah. well, you know, well, he incredibly got, he touching got swapped- situation. He got swapped over. It was during the Amazon um, sci-fi thing. So it could be something there. It could be a representation thing. It could be any number of things. Because remember, the the Expanse was on hold for a bit while the transition was made from sci-fi to Amazon. So that could have thrown a lot of people's, like, ability to continue working on the show into question. Especially when you're a side character like he is, where you only appear maybe at most once every other episode or once every third episode in a season. Like, that's not a huge contract. So, you know, an agent might have pushed him towards, like, more steady work, whatever. But I I, I do like how, you know, we get a couple of things uh, happening in that. And and the character development between Officer Rollin and Arjun is very subtle. You know, there's not a lot of straight-up exposition, exposition that the two of them do. They very subtly give clues as to their relationship the conflicts that they're in, how much they love each other, and how how they've been together for a very long time. Because as we mentioned before, you know, Avasarala in this is like 140 years old. Like, people who are living during the Expanse and making it to old age are making it to a much older age. And her and her husband have been together for a very long time, like longer than what we would think of as most stable marriages nowadays. That's 
that's hard to kind of pull off in a very like subtle way without you know really hammering home some very stupid ham-fisted um exposition to to make the audience get that <laughs> yeah and i i particularly appreciate the fact that he he doesn't ask her why he needs to go to luna he's just like he okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you imagine you just sort of as a spouse in that situation, you just yeah. begin to accept like my spouse is going to be in danger a lot. And there's going to be times where I just have to shut the fuck up because yeah. this is this is something I cannot be a part of. She's incredibly powerful. She is a target of political violence f- from time to time. Like mm-hmm. she's been uh, there's been at least one assassination attempt on her. Uh, oh, I, I guess that's next. Next season? Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Gotcha. Well, I I imagine she's had I mean, multiple been, attempts been, on her life. Like, yeah, she has through her career had multiple yeah. attempts, and she was in the fucking Marines at one point. Like that's this is true. This is not a woman who's lived a a safe life. Correct. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for and it. And just just to follow up, just to confirm, yeah, during that transition, he had taken on some roles. Uh, for the initial actor had taken on some roles that conflicted with the schedule, so they had to recast because of that. Thank you, yeah. uh, Mr. That Hollywood Insider, for your reporting on the ground on that situation. I appreciate it, genuinely. <laughs> <laughs> so, now, uh, hopping back to Eros real quick, we're going to see uh, some character development between um, Naomi and Amos coming along. Um, because even though they were friends, sort of like on the Canterbury, and they were like work buddies, they're beginning to get a deeper look into each other's actual inner lives as they're put in much more stressful situations. And this is something that's going to become a point of contention for Josephus Miller, obviously. Um, but I also think it just shows how the family on the Rocinante is beginning to gel, you know, and where the the lines of loyalty are being drawn. Oh, Miller! Miller gets a rough. Miller's got a rough hand dealt to him this season. <laughs> well, in, in in his entire life, Josephus Miller was, <laughs> yeah. you know, he he's a, a he is, yeah, he is a he is a starcraft person. Yeah, absolutely. Here we go. Sammy. Chekhov's gun. <laughs> fire up something. <laughs> Whoops. Didn't get an, an accurate read on the power dynamics at play. <laughs> Jesus. You do well, also, not you point. notice. Yeah, you, you notice that Amos. Yeah, you notice Amos uh, shoots to kill. He doesn't shoot to wound, which 
You could have totally done in that situation. Shoot the dude in the fucking leg, right? Or shoot him in the arm so he can't shoot Naomi. Like, yeah, th- those were no. options. You pointed a gun at Naomi Nagata in Amos Burton's presence. You are not living for much longer. That's just, that's how that goes. That's yep. how it will yeah. always go, no matter how much Naomi has pissed Amos off. And keep in <laughs> mind, at the start of this argument, Amos agreed with Semi. Yeah. Said, yeah, 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 he's right. And then he pulled the gun out, and Amos is like, all right, man, I was agreeing with you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I had to those, go and do that. Those, those tables turned real fucking fast, real fucking fast. <laughs> Just very matter of fact. <laughs> there, is a, there is a very, there is a thin line between, like, we can, you know, we can have a discussion, we can have an argument, but if you step up beyond that line by threatening Naomi in literally any way with physical violence, you're done. You're done. I mean, he did point a lethal firearm at Naomi's oh, yeah. head. That 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 is, like, a big line to cross. I'm trying to think of yeah. what... There's nothing else he really could have done, though, in terms of, like, trying to pressure her. But it was a really stupid fucking thing to do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he didn't... You also have to assume, like, if he pulls the trigger, he's now got to convince the pilot to fly them out of there. Like, this is not... This was not well thought out no, on Simi's end. All. Like he, <laughs> he kind of made a very impulsive, panicked decision, which I would, I would also do that in this situation. I'm not gonna lie. Um, scary shit is happening. And then you would also get shot. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do. I, I'm not saying I would pull out a gun in that situation. I would just be panicky and scared. Oh, yeah, that, that's um, totally fair. You know, fair. totally understandable. But also, you know, the we see the churn again. We're just like sometimes you gotta die. Like sometimes. That's just what happens when shit goes oh, sideways. Did you did you find did you find your beverage? Did you actually procure your beverage, the churn? Oh, uh no, I just saw it at Trader Joe's. I didn't actually oh, buy it. I'm because I, I had some teeth pulled, I'm on antibiotics, so I can't actually drink. Gotcha. I was I'm was I'm It is cheap curious. as hell though. If you Oh yeah, no. if you go to if you go to Trader Joe's, it's like seven dollars for that Chardonnay. Noted. Well, Ooh, okay. <laughs> I mean, that doesn't mean it's bad. Trader Joe's I, has I, good, I, cheap wine. Some Sometimes they do, yeah. It's just yeah. sometimes. I I had too many experiences with some two-buck chucks back in college. Uh, I'm well, afraid but you that don't. That, I mean, that's the shittiest wine you can drink. That is literally <laughs> the worst wine you can buy. Like, I, I lived in Napa for a bit, and, like, you know, they, they thresh the bushes, like, the really, like, the, the industrial firms, they just use machines to pull the grapes. Yeah, yeah. And most most firms uh, pay to have that sorted. So, like, the the leaves and the twigs and the dead birds and the stuff like that oh, that gets no! caught in the thresher, <laughs> like, those get sorted out before the grapes go to press. And, like, Charles Shaw, they don't. They don't pay for that process. Oh. They, they keep it. They keep it that cheap. It, it very by cutting every corner you can. So um, that may be apocryphal, but that's what you know. That's the shit that people would talk up in Napa about the uh, the two buck chuck. Um, well, but, but the anyways, alcohol, I am the just alcohol broke enough to just go. Sometimes it be like that. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it be like that. Give me my chuck. But before we get uh, too caught up on the the subject of terrestrial wines, um, though there was a you know th- there was the talk of Martian wine earlier in this season. Yeah. Uh, let's uh, let's uh, hop to another part of Aero Station where 
Uh, Miller and Holden have procured themselves some some uniforms to look like the uh, security thugs. <laughs> And now they're they're stuck on the wrong side of a labor conflict as the Earth crews are getting ready to evacuate and telling the Belter crews they have to go somewhere else. And it seems like none of these people are getting off the station, probably. And that was always the plan. Yep. Uh, and they, I believe that you cut the end of this at the absolute perfect moment. And I appreciate that. Uh, just giving you the thanks ahead of time, because judging by the title of the clip. So let's just go ahead and play it. This is an example of where your voice being all fucked up from radiation is actually beneficial. Oh shit, it is. This clip is like much louder. <laughs> There's a lot of gunfire. Yeah, I was just watching the levels and it just like absolutely maxed out for OBS. <laughs> Wait, was that was that Holden's first kill? Uh, might have been. Wow. Don't ask how he knows your name. <laughs> Jesus. And that was that was uh, Josephus Miller killing the man who attempted to kill his partner on series, yeah. um, which was funny because you never really got the idea that he liked his partner very much. Um, but he clearly, you know, felt some protection over that that very naive Earther. I, I feel like it was one of those like you uh, you messed with my team, you messed with my family, like that kind of a situation, because I don't think he actually gave that much of a shit about his partner. But it was a, you know, you, you mess with my friends, you mess with me kind of a situation, I think. Well, and he, yeah. didn't, he didn't give a shit about his partner, but he also knew that his partner wasn't himself a piece of shit. Like, True. he was actually the most empathetic person on that force who was actually trying to learn things about the people that he was serving. And he was the apocryphal was, good cop. Yeah, exactly. And so he got uh, spiked because of it. And yeah, that never Miller didn't like that happening, even from even while he was talking shit. So at some point, uh, seeing him 
you know, seeing the guy who did it, I'm sure Miller just went, oh, okay. When I, when I get you one-on-one, that's, that's going to be the end of things. Yeah. Something like yeah. that. Yeah. I also, I also find it funny that, uh, when Miller was, uh, doing the shit stirring, he basically just jumped <laughs> into the, uh, series shit stirrers voice yeah. and using, I think he even directly quoted him a couple of times. I think he did. Yeah. I think he did. I'm sure he's heard, I'm sure he's heard that speech many times. Yeah. yeah. Got that sermon down by heart. Repeat it to the Blood crowds. on the wall, Baratnas. <laughs> he did a good job. And like I was, as I was saying with the, 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 the mix of the volume of the clip, totally washing me out. It was actually advantageous for him to be melting from the inside because most of these gangsters might have recognized his voice because he was a very well-known, you know, presence on series mm-hmm. as the cop that, you know, dealt with a lot of them many, many, many mm-hmm. times, like over the decades of his time uh, working for Star Helix. So, yeah, they they uh, tend to remember the Will Wallace. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, the fact that his voice was full of goop uh, from his uh <laughs> intestines and everything just completely destroying themselves uh and he's choking back blood i think that did uh actually was advantageous in terms of disguise factors at this point anyway but so at this point they uh uh miller and holden make it to the airlock for the ross and Ante, not knowing whether or not the ship waited for him they have no clue they may have just fought their way through the entire aero station uh, instigated an uprising, uh, gotten some revenge, uh, all for naught, only to to die of massive radiation poisoning, uh, waiting for a ship that has already left. So they, they and end when up they the, look down at, oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say they end up at the airlock. They don't know if it's there. They're knocking on the do- on the thing. They're collapsing. They're exhausted. They're delirious. And then the airlock opens, and what would Josephus Miller see inside the airlock? But all the boys fall in love with julie mao (laughs) but it's this weird connection we see again and this is something i'm flagging for for later on especially because uh for two characters that have never met uh they seem to be a big part of each other's lives in a very strange strange way absolutely but it turns out it's not actually julie mao it is amos burton (laughs) yep very deadpan. You can say that shit. <laughs> well, it's, oh, yeah. it's funny, especially because you you see Miller right before that mouth the words "beautiful," and you know you can see Amos being like, "What the? Okay, whatever." Amos is a beautiful man. Uh, he he is a very large, beautiful man. Um, but now now the Rosinante is still locked in the dock, so they got to get out somehow. And uh, you know, shall we shall we just play the clip of how they get out? Sure. Yeah, it's pretty fun and exciting. Here we go. <laughs> get us out of here. Okay. We have we have gear. We have, we have the technology. Honest, uh, it's another very, very loud one. I don't know why he doesn't just like turn on the drive and just 
rip it all apart, but whatever. Because of that shot. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> it is such a cool looking ship. And this this beautiful shot, obviously it's all CGI, but this beautiful shot of them shooting out of Eros that shows you kind of the scale of Eros because it's hard to tell, right? It's hard to really get an idea of how big these structures are in space. But I, I just think that's a, a cool one that shows the tiny, tiny little Rocinante, which is a ship big enough for like 30 people fleeing this massive rock in space mm-hmm. out of, you know, some of the busiest docks in the in the solar system. But remember... It is a massive rock in space with zero gravity, as we discussed yeah. earlier, because facts don't matter. It looked cool, Chris. I know it looked cool. <laughs> I know it makes sense from a plot device, but there's no fucking gravity, man. Like, it's it's like a one one hundredth or whatever. I forget. I did the calculations on a previous episode. Yeah, it was. It's it an was, incredibly it was small, small gravity. <laughs> Yeah, Professor Roth has already given us a class on this one. Like it would, it would not be as exciting to watch them running through Eros if they had to have the bag boots on the whole time. Like it would be a much, a much slower paced chase. You know, it just wouldn't. It, it would be fun. Some of that It tension. would just be expensive. Well, but so, so that's one of the things is like you do see like zero g close quarters combat in later seasons that is really incredibly well done. Like. Uh, a character that we haven't even like heard of yet turns out to be an absolute badass when it comes to how do you kill people when you board a ship and proves that well, like I, you can do very cool combat in zero G if you've got, the I, I will, I, I will say, you know, Amazon was free to spend more money and this is part <laughs> of the change between sci-fi and Amazon. And that, that article I shared with you all in the, the chat um, where the writers were asked, like, you know, how do you feel about the science and the show? And they're like, well, we're always trying to do better about it. They have a couple of examples. And I think that's that's largely part of it is Amazon gave the show more freedom, not just budget-wise, but creatively, to actually live out this vision where, you know, sci-fi has been a very troubled channel for a long time. And that shows in this show, especially when you compare the first season to later seasons, where they do a really good job in a lot of ways, but they cut corners in other ways. And, like... If they had more resources, if the network was more dedicated to the show, they could really go and do it. Whereas Amazon's like, well, we don't really care about our ratings. We're the wealthiest company that has ever fucking existed. And if we want to make this show, we're just going to fucking make this show because we don't make our money from Prime Video. We don't make our money from Prime subscriptions or even selling shit on the website. We make our money through Amazon Web Services, which everyone on the planet fucking uses, and that cash machine is never turning off. Like, Correct. in fact, the next CEO of Amazon was the guy who turned Amazon Web Services into the dominant framework that it is today. So, um, you know, I, I think that's the, the answer for that one, Chris, rather than, money, you know, uh, uh, they yeah. just hate science. I mean, so that, or that maybe, was actually— look, in, in Star Trek, <laughs> they have inertial dampers. Maybe they just have that technology on Eros. Who knows? If they had that technology, then like that destroys entire plot devices later in in like the third season. Like, it, no, no. But so if they had that technology, they're not going to be putting it on the most broke ass. Oh yeah, no, Eros ain't getting that shit. Are you kidding me? <laughs> they ain't getting fuck all. 
They don't even have a decent dock. They just built a new one and called it Ceres. <laughs> fair. Oh, fair uh, enough. But, fair but enough. That, that actually was one of the things that I got very annoyed with in like the early on episodes where uh, the like the way that the dust particles are floating around. It's just like, that's not what would happen, man. Like you're showing a whole bunch of like eddy currents in the air in like the headlamps with all the dust floating around. It's like, if you're in zero G, like it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't swirl like that so much. <laughs> Unless somebody true, walked true. by just a moment ago. Anyway, <laughs> true. Uh, true. But uh, hopping, hopping out to uh, Dresden real quick, just to sort of show what's been going on. Um, just the results of this experiment. Dresden is clearly watching uh, paying attention to all those nifty scientific instruments that the Belter crews set up for him to to spy on this. We don't get too much information. We just see that what is ever, whatever is happening in Eros is, is really fucking happening. I got to say, it's a very well-framed from a cinematic perspective shot that they have of Julie there uh, showing the lasers that are about to activate the, uh, the source code, as it were. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, props to the props to the... Uh, the 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 uh, big boot what was it? the jackbooted thug that installed that camera in that position uh, to assist the with uh, Dr. Dresden. Uh, I'm I'm assuming it's the guy that uh, doesn't know of any children if he has them because uh, he's the only other person who was in the room apparently. Uh, but yeah, well well framed, well framed. Yeah, yeah. And then we see we see a shot of Dresden watching his experiment go down, oh, um, God, just kind of looking. Asshole fascinated by it he is creepy such an asshole yeah and he'll he'll come back a little bit later on um you know we don't we don't get to learn too much about dresden um but we know <laughs> that he is in charge of this that he's working for jules pierre mao and that they're in direct contact and that this is the most important thing that either one of them has ever worked on which means it's probably pretty fucking important because they both seem like very important people absolutely i mean it's yeah. you know Mao is absolutely the Jeff Bezos of the Expanse universe. Uh, he is worth more money than anyone else. They they repeatedly point out that Julie, as uh, she's actually she's the second daughter, so she's not even like the heir apparent, but she is still referred to as the you know the wealthiest bachelorette in the in the in the system. Uh, so it, it's these these are incredibly powerful people playing with incredibly powerful tools. And um, they genuinely believe that they can play God. Um, and uh, this is this is a lesson, folks, a lesson in humility. Don't get so wealthy that you forget that you're a fucking human because uh, you might just do absolutely horrendous, horrendous shit uh, at the expense of other people. Or maybe yeah. you are just accumulating wealth and resources to create an interplanetary world for humanity and also to destroy the Onion and promote the Babylon Bee. That could also be a thing that you're doing. Elon, you fucking idiot. <laughs> God, that tweet was amazing. <laughs> he fell for the bait so badly. Gets super defensive. Oh. All you got to do is say Emerald Mine, and then he'll just like go on a fucking rampage about it. And plug the Babylon B. What? Why it's, you got to plug the Babylon B, man? It's not even good writing. No, it's not. It's no. terrible. 
like there there are some people who are right wingers and shitty people and have shitty ideas, but they are good writers. Like they are able to construct a sentence and a thought in a way that is compelling. That is not Babylon B. Babylon <laughs> B just says, "Hey, here's a thing." Ha ha! And that is their whole fucking site. Anyway, I don't like the Babylon B. <laughs> Surprisingly. Uh, but yeah, so to uh, to wrap up the series finale, we finally get like some idea. We've, we've seen bits and pieces of the protomolecule of what it was doing on Phoebe. We've, we've gotten little itty bitty ideas about what might be happening here. Uh, but now we actually get to see what it's it's doing on series, and uh, it's some freaky shit to Eros, say the not least. Series, but yes, is thank you, thank you, Eros, not series, <laughs> but it's doing some freaky shit. Uh, also, uh, oh, I'm not gonna spoil anything. Playing the clip. <laughs> Fuck this guy. But think about his wife and kids, man. I'm just saying Alex's wife and kids is better off. <laughs> the ambient sound effects are very good for this. Mm-hmm. It's got the the noise, the rippling of the the sound waves traveling along a, a chord in tension. arms just like reach out and take him up to somewhere rip <laughs> gg oh god that was so worth it <laughs> but yeah you're you're right about the the audio on that they did a really good job of basically layering and marrying a lot of familiar sounds to create something that is wholly alien to us and and with that it just it, it becomes very, very unsettling because you can almost, mm. your your brain can almost pick out something that you recognize, but it cannot process it in a way that can tell you, oh, that's a person talking, or, oh, that's the click of a mouse. It's, no, I understand that I'm supposed to recognize something, but I can't because it just, it doesn't feel right. And, and that was obviously what they were intending to do, and they did it admirably. So I was just going to point out oh, yeah. that remember the controls that they have? Yeah, right. baby, look at that. This is what happens right. when you turn it on. If you turn it off, it looks exactly like the controls that they have on the Rosinante. <laughs> just just, just throwing it out there, folks. I can see what you're doing, prop makers, and I respect it. <laughs> Actually, it would be uh. a really useful tool for like changing the orientation of the ship in three-dimensional space, but... You know, ah, details, details. Yeah. <laughs> but so so that concludes this season. And uh, I don't know. Have we Woo! decided, are we going to be back next week with season two? Or are we taking a break? I'm up for it, Logan. All right. We'll, we'll be back next I'm week done. with season two. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, before we do that, let's uh, let's give a little bit of an extended context as far as where we at. And uh, I'll start off with Earth. Uh, and Earth is in the midst of 
internal political upheaval in kind of the ruling class and their hegemonic position within the system is definitely under threat as it has been for a while. Um, but this new, very unexpected threat that's going to arise uh, is going to really put Earth on edge and show how fragile their power is and how in the solar system, in the cosmos, humanity is an incredibly fragile thing. Even if there are a hundred billion of us spread out across the planet, we're, or sorry, spread out across the solar system, we're still not the big mover and shaker here, you know. In the grand scheme of things in the solar system, it is that massive nuclear fusion reactor that sits at the at the center of this all. It's really running things, and we're but, you know, meat robots running around on a ball of dust hurtling around it. And in that, that fragile meat existential robots? space, yes, we are, we are ghosts driving meat robots. Oh, God. I need to watch some more. But in that, in that existential sense, humanity is very fragile. And the people who see themselves as the defenders of humanity, as the, the ones who need to safeguard the species' longevity, are going to be very, very worried about whether or not it's possible to do that going out of here. So I'll go to you, Logan, next for, uh, for where the belt is. Bad. <laughs> I mean, I mean, we were feeling pretty good a few weeks ago. Things seem to be going just kind of okay. And then uh, one of our two uh, stations uh, is now an experiment for thousands of our people. And uh, they're not coming back. And the thing is, is that we don't even know, like, the OPA has no idea that this is happening right now because everyone on Aerostation is either dead or about to be momentarily. And so uh, Dawes, probably right now, he's probably still feeling pretty good because he's secured his power at series. Uh, I think Fred Johnson is not doing great because he, you know, just basically without begging, also just begged, hey, it wasn't me, please don't come for me. And now they're starting to realize, you know, and you see Aaron Wright, just basically he's prepared to railroad the OPA. So things aren't doing great. Things aren't going great for the belt. Uh, and it's probably going to uh, take some uh, interesting turns uh, for them to kind of get out of this. Also, shout out to my man, Diogo. I know I'm going to see you soon, bud. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, All right, Chris. So, uh, where's uh, where's Mars sitting? We haven't heard too much from Mars, Mars has in no a while, unfortunately. Fucking clue. So. There's no. They have no idea what the fuck is going on. It's just like what, why, what, what, what's going on? Why are these things happening? Mars has no fucking clue. This is completely outside of like they're they're still. I, honestly, the Martians at this point are probably still thinking about the fact of like shit, shit, shit. Something like, did our stealth technology go missing? Uh, oh, no, it turns out it didn't go missing. But shit, now all of the Earthers know where, like, they know where all of our, our, our stealth technology labs are at. Shit, 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 what are we going to do? They, they have no fucking clue that this is going on. There's still, like, the Donager got blown up. There's a whole bunch of dead Marines. They don't know what happened there. They are pissed off about it. But they have no fucking clue. They don't know that there's anything happening on Eros. They don't know that there's uh, you know, this kind of strife happening within the upper echelons of power within the United Nations. Uh, you, they don't know anything about what's going on with the OPA. I don't think that they give a shit about the OPA other than the possibility of using it as a wedge to, you know, 
diminish the power of the United Nations. So, like, right now, Mars is like, what? What? Huh? What's Mars kind of Mars kind of strikes me as uh they're they're in an apartment and they're hearing a lot of thumping from their upstairs neighbors <laughs> and now shit's leaking from the ceiling but they don't know who to call about that. I like that analogy. I like that analogy very much. Um except that Mars would be the ones that owned the fucking building. Um thank you very much. So, uh yeah, that's that's kind of where Mars is at. So, yeah. Join us. No, I think that's a good wrap up. Yeah, so join us next week as we delve into season two of The Expanse because uh, no war but class war and uh, class war in space, y'all. That's all I got. Yeah, no, we'll uh, we'll see you next week, next season, uh, and uh, keep it keep an eye out for um, season six release dates because we hear, should be hearing about that pretty soon. But it looks like nice. it's going to be December, or January of uh, either December of this year or January of next year, depending on how production goes. But production has definitely started, so I'm excited. And the last book of the Expanse, uh, book number nine, is going to be dropping uh, in October 2021 if it stays on schedule. And uh, I am super excited to read that. So if you want to get a hop on that. Start reading the books now. They're all very, very good. Uh, will, other than that, there's uh, only eight safe. of them to cover you until October. They they go pretty fast, though. I'll say that they're <laughs> they're pretty quick reads. They're very engrossing. But uh, stay safe, you all. Have yourselves a relaxing weekend. Take a break if you've been out there on the streets. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure there'll be more of that to come. Uh, tell Mitch O'Farrell to resign. Tune into the podcast on Monday, where we'll be talking a lot about how Mitch O'Farrell needs to resign. Uh, and, you know, do some meditating. Take a nap. Like, take care of yourselves. Yep, that's the plan. Fists up for Echo Park Lake. All right, see you all next week. Bye. Later, friends. Bye.